The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I'm Rufus Griscom, and this is The Next Big Idea. Welcome back to this special series we're doing, 22 Book Bites to Ignite Your Curiosity in 2022. If you're thinking, what special series? What's he talking about? Here's the gist. We've got this app. It's called The Next Big Idea. And in the app, we have hundreds of these things called Book Bites, which are audio summaries of the very best new books created and read to you by the authors themselves. We combed through data from the last 12 months and found out which book bites our users listen to the most. And now we're sharing the top 22 with you. Last week, we heard from Heather McGee and Sarah Jaffe. I highly recommend giving those a listen if you haven't already. Today at number 20, we have The Disordered Cosmos, A Journey into Dark Matter, Space Time, and Dreams Deferred by Chanda Prescott-Weinstein. Now, I've always been a big reader, and I've read more books since we launched The Next Big Idea Club than ever before. I sometimes joke to friends, it's been like a hot dog eating contest, only with books instead of hot dogs. Fortunately, the vast majority of those books I read for work are the kind of books I'd read for pleasure. They're thought-provoking, well-written. They're the kind of books that load you up with fascinating factoids and anecdotes that might just make you the star of your next cocktail party. Every now and then, though, there's a book that catches me completely by surprise with an entirely fresh and novel angle. The Disordered Cosmos was one of those books. It's a hard book to classify. It's a memoir. It's social commentary. It's an intro to quantum mechanics. Chanda tells the story of how the cosmos came to be, but she also explains how sexism and racism in the sciences have limited who knows that story and who's allowed to tell it. I'm Chandra Prescott-Weinstein, and I'm a theoretical physicist at the University of New Hampshire. My primary area of research is dark matter, and I also do research in Black feminist science, technology, and society studies with a focus on race and gender and how they change outcomes in physics. I'm going to share with you five of the key insights from my book, The Disordered Cosmos, A Journey into Dark Matter, Space-Time, and Dreams Deferred. Insight number one, science is about storytelling. Cosmology is the field of research that focuses on the origins and evolution of space-time. My day job is as a particle cosmologist. I use math to figure out the history of space-time with a particular focus on the origins and evolution of particles. I get to fill in the cosmological timeline by drawing connections between the behavior of particles during the first few seconds of the universe's existence and the evolution of the galaxies that we observe today, about 14 billion years later. I work on the greatest story of all time, how the universe came to be the way that it is, which ultimately provides some insight into how humans came to exist at all. As far back as we've been able to find, each community has had a way of telling cosmological stories, stories about how our world got to be the way it is. My own ancestors, indigenous Africans who were kidnapped into slavery, and Ashkenazi Jews, had cosmologies of their own. 
They are not the cosmologies I study now, but nonetheless, I see myself as continuing the tradition of being a community storyteller. Cosmology and particle physics is a storytelling form that speaks to who we are as a species. We are a species that likes math and likes to look for patterns, and we are a species that likes to tell tales about the universe. Cosmology and particle physics bring those things together by using mathematical tools like calculus and quantum field theory to construct coherent narratives about all of space-time. Working as a cosmologist means responding to a deeply human impulse. As the Black woman philosopher Sylvia Winter has articulated, we are not only a biological species, but we are also a cultural storytelling species. When we do science, we are telling stories in a unique format that relies on experiment, data, and hypothesis. We are constantly working with tools, old and new, to push the boundary of human understanding about how the universe works. And we often do it because we are ultimately interested in the story it tells us about who we are and our social location in the universe. Insight number two. The universe is mostly what we can't see. We are cosmic weirdos. The composition of the universe can be broken down into three fundamental categories. What we would consider to be normal everyday matter, which can be described by the standard model of particle physics, dark matter, and dark energy. You might think that most of the matter and energy in the universe are composed of the first kind, the stuff that we think is normal, the stuff that is familiar to us. But in fact, what we can see in the universe is actually a small fraction, about 4% of what comprises the total matter energy content in the universe. In other words, the standard model of particle physics, which describes every particle we've ever seen in a laboratory experiment or through a telescope, only explains a small fraction of the matter energy content. We, and the stars and plants and rocks, are abnormal. We are what's weird and unusual, and therefore we are special in the universe. What's the rest of it made of? We're actually not sure. About 96% of the stuff in the universe remains a mystery to us. We know that about 20% of everything is composed of something we call dark matter, which I should say is a bit of a misnomer. It should actually be called clear or invisible matter because light goes right through it. So if I were to put a clump of dark matter in your hand, you would feel it weigh your hands down because of its gravitational attraction to the earth, but you would still be able to see your hands as if nothing was there. So light just goes right through. We are still confident that something like dark matter exists even though we can't see it because the way stars move in galaxies can only be properly explained by the presence of large amounts of matter that doesn't radiate light. So in other words, most of the matter in galaxies is actually not the beautiful radiating stars and gas that we observe through telescopes and even with the naked eye at night. It's mostly stuff that we can't see and have never detected in a laboratory although certainly the hunt is on, and I love that part of my job. I still haven't in the story accounted for about 70-75% of the matter energy in the universe, and we actually have another mystery on our hands, which is widely known as the dark energy problem. You might think this has something to do with dark matter because of the similarity with the names, but actually they're totally unrelated. In this case, the mystery is that the expansion of space-time which we've known about for almost a century, 
is actually accelerating. So this is like if space-time was hitting the gas while driving a car and picking up speed. So space-time is picking up speed. We don't know why. We think it's driven by a phenomenon that's called dark energy. It's a name that the scientists have just given it. If this is a correct model, it's the majority of the matter energy content in the universe, and we know very little about it. I tend to think of all of this as a reminder that just because something feels normal for us doesn't mean it's normal for the universe. And you might think that the universe is what we see, but the universe is mostly what we can't see directly. Insight number three. Maybe quantum mechanics actually is intuitive. Quantum mechanics shows us that particles behave simultaneously as like points, like billiard balls, and waves at the same time. This central lesson of quantum mechanics is known as wave-particle duality. And wave-particle duality has long fascinated and troubled physicists and laypeople alike because to many people it seems like a completely bizarre idea. How can something be a particle and a wave at the same time? We are told constantly, even if we're not sure whether this is intuitive or not, that it's counterintuitive because it's out of sync with what we experience in everyday life, which is that something is one or the other. As a student of physics, this was ground into me regularly, that Newtonian physics was intuitive and quantum mechanics is not because we experience things as having a fixed identity. They fall into one category or another. They cannot be two seemingly diametrically opposite things at the same time. But I would argue that what is intuitive is socially constructed and not inherently biological. We know, of course, that experience shapes our intuition. If you grew up watching football, for example, you have a feel for it in a way that is very different from someone who is new to it and simply hasn't spent the same amount of time with it. But these questions of intuition and quantum mechanics can really be brought up through a comment that British drag queen Amru Al-Khadi made while talking about their gender identity. When asked to explain what it means to be non-binary and whether that's natural, Amru pointed out that particles are two things at once, that particles are non-binary, and that was how they felt as a non-binary person. In other words, being non-binary meant that a fundamental tenet of quantum mechanics was very intuitive for Amru. This suggests that the tendency of scientists to assume that people and things exist in neat static categories is wrong. And the belief that neat static categories are the most intuitive is probably rooted in assumptions about how the world works that are also wrong. This has likely been bad for science, and it suggests that maybe queerness offers lessons about how to do science better. As Jose Esteban Munoz articulated it, Queerness is futurity and persistently exists on the boundary of what is known and what is unknown. And that's actually just like science. Science is about what we don't know, and doing the work of science means existing at that boundary. So maybe quantum mechanics is what is actually intuitive for some people, and this fact may teach us something about changing science, shifting it toward a practice that liberates instead of traps and outdated binary ideas. Insight number four, diversity and science won't save us, but solidarity can. So it's tempting to say that science and technology equal progress, but the reality is more complex than that. We know that science and technology continue to exclude marginalized peoples, 
And when we think about technological achievements, one of the most impactful achievements of human technology is, unfortunately, global warming. That's right. Climate change is a technological achievement. We have managed, through the use of technology, to rapidly and irrevocably alter our climate conditions. As we face global climate catastrophe, we must reckon with the fact that science is a tool, and tools can be used for both good and bad. Science is done by people, and who we are to each other matters. Without a sense of ethics, we can end up becoming a threat to ourselves, our ecosystems, and all life on Earth. In other words, science is a social phenomenon, and we put ourselves at risk when we don't take this seriously. We need to understand that all scientific choices go through people, and it matters who is at the table for those conversations and what values are shaping them. The, quote, great man myth of scientific geniuses who stumble into famous achievements is wrong. Science is a massive enterprise, and both experiments and theories rely on the work of many people. So it really matters who's at the table. And it's easy to think that maybe we can address the problems that arise in science by discussing diversity and working toward inclusion. In fact, talking about diversity and inclusion is all the rage in science right now. And indeed, it's nice when our classrooms and labs aren't homogenous. But at the end of the day, diversity won't save us or science. Focusing on diversity in science isn't enough if the scientists are still using science to do harm to other humans, to the earth, and to its ecosystems. So assimilating diverse people into science won't change things. Science has to change. Our attitude about the values we bring to the table in science has to change. We have to move toward an anti-colonial science that understands that equality and justice must be fundamental working values for all of us. Seeing traditional marginalized communities succeed in science is important, not just because of our capacity to make important contributions to science, but because it is just. We deserve the same opportunities to thrive and tell our stories as all humans do. Black, brown, and indigenous people, queer people, Southeast Asian people, non-binary people, and everyone else who has traditionally been on the margins of the American and global scientific establishment are entitled to the chance to tell our mathematical stories of the cosmos and do it in a way that reflects the ethics and values of caring communities. Making this access a reality means embracing the values of prison abolition and mutual aid, ideas rooted in solidarity between people, regardless of the differences we may perceive between us. Solidarity can save us. Insight number five, black children have a right to know and love the night sky. Ultimately, my book is about freedom dreams. I begin with black children because my ideas about this are very much rooted in my own experience. I am asking the question of how to eradicate the barriers I face so that future generations don't have to deal with them. I'm also dreaming of ending the barriers that I didn't have to face because we all have a right to know and love the night sky and understand the questions of particle physics and cosmology that I write about in my book. What would it take to make the night sky accessible to all? This requires radically re-envisioning how our society is structured. 
to create the space time for Black, Indigenous, and other children to sit and comfortably wonder about the night sky means making sure they are spiritually and physically nourished, have access to clean water, healthy sustenance, secure housing, health care, and parents and caregivers who are not suffering under poverty wages and from overwork. It means valuing housework, and it means that billionaires shouldn't be allowed to launch constellations of satellites that fundamentally change the sky we see, at least not without democratic input from the global community that is impacted. It means an end to the carceral state as we know it. It means widely available and accessible public transportation so that anyone can get to an International Dark Sky Association designated dark sky place. It means combating climate change so it is safe for us to go outside and breathe outdoor air for long periods of time. The night sky is our shared inheritance and together we can be inspired by it to protect and care for each other and dream fantastical Afrofuturist dreams. Thank you for listening and I hope you find the book useful. Thank you, Chanda. I never thought one book could bring me up to speed on dark energy, quantum mechanics, and social justice. But the disordered cosmos seems to do just that. It's a great reminder that science is never truly separate from the political and cultural forces that surround it. And we want science that not only reveals the world to us, but makes that world a better and fairer place. If you want to learn more about Chanda's work, you'll find a link to her website in the episode notes. You'll also find a link to download the Next Big Idea app, which doesn't just have tons of great book bites. You'll also find ad-free versions of this podcast, audio and video masterclasses, conversations with our curators, and lots of other great content. Just click on the link in the episode notes or search for Next Big Idea wherever you get your apps. I'm your host, Rufus Griscom. See you tomorrow.